Hi everyone, welcome to In The Between. My name is Nadia. And this is Danny. And yes, you're seeing us in the flesh. <laughs> this is our 50th episode and we thought we'd switch things up a bit and offer our podcast as a vodcast as well, um, as an IGTV episode. So we hope this works. Yes. <laughs> and what we're going to be talking about today is the new, well, new-ish um, ASEAN Fashion and Textile Gallery. That's right. So this is the Asian Civilizations Museum in Singapore. Um, and we say new-ish because actually the fashion gallery was well, Fashion and Textiles Gallery was already ready um, in March, but then I think three days after, or three days before it was supposed to be open officially, then the circuit breaker, the lockdown happened, and so it's been a long time coming, um, this tour that we had with the curator Jackie Yong. Thank you so much, Jackie, for the tour. We really enjoyed it, and now we're going to talk about the exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. And we often send our students over to to the museums to mm-hmm. get inspiration and to really get an understanding of a non-Western perspective of dress and fashion. So the, one of the clearest and most um, in, like explicit things that the curator said is that they really want to use the word fashion when referring to this mm-hmm. and looking at how Western fashion has drawn inspiration from Asian dress and so they talk about Asia in fashion. That's right. So um, Jackie was really clear about this. So not Asian fashion, mm-hmm. um, not fashion in Asia, but Asia in fashion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think I hope I, hope I got that right. Yes. I, I, a, I took, I took it down because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I got the terms right. And also, mm. um, so that, that would mean that there is the possibility, for example, to show um, a 19th century dress that has a textile that was painted in China but was produced in France, for example. And not necessarily um, Asian fashion designers, which could include the Asian diaspora. So it, right. it leaves a bit more room to discussing Asia in fashion. Yeah, so it's a bit more inclusive, which we like, um, you know, and it, it's uh, not as categorical, I guess, you know, and then it doesn't exclude so many things that it just becomes too artificial. So um, the exhibition is in a, a rather small gallery, um, so they, they did have space constraints, mm-hmm. but I think within that very modest space, uh, Jackie did a great job in pulling together representative pieces that allow us to understand Asia in fashion. So this is a permanent gallery, right? And there will be rotations, rotations every yes. couple of years. I, I hope think I'm she says about right. two years. Yeah, yeah, every couple of years. Um, so let's get down to it. What do we like about the exhibition? Well, um, I think I learned a lot about me too. The, the pieces there, especially mm-hmm. because Jackie was really generous with her comments. And we went as a small group of five different academics mm-hmm. and... All of us had like different questions um, pertaining to, let's say, I was interested in the mounting of the of the exhibition and how they think about the body beneath. Mm. And then there were, of course, questions about the symbols and the techniques. So that was that. There's lots to think about in terms of that. So we enter the the space and we are greeted with some multimedia on our right side. So that's lots of really fabulous images of. Um, for example, Dr. Sun Yat-sen with his daughters wearing, I don't know if you can see this, but wearing um, dre- uh, Chinese dress um, in Nanjing in 1912, for example. So 
what she also said was that even though the gallery is small, she wanted the the journey of the visitor to be chronological. Mm -hmm. And why she did that was because when you start to put things in themes, the time kind of disappears, right? Because you think in terms of like, okay, dragons or like stars and things, instead of going from like, okay, um, 18 something to 1900s. And when you go chronological, you can see the change in silhouette, the change in maybe color or technique. So I think that was quite clear. Yeah, I like that as well. I mean, I generally like um, a chronological sort of development um, because then you understand how things evolved and what led to the next and the next and the next. And then it also relates... Um, because one of the things she said that she wanted to talk about in the exhibition was um, the changing roles of women. So that's like a sub-theme that's running through the exhibition. Yeah. So there are um, generally three types of garments that we see in this exhibition, right? So we are looking from the imperial robes um, to the teapao, um, and then to the mouse suit, yeah, I think. Chong Sang suit. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, what did you like about the Imperial Rose? I thought that, you know, it was really fun to hear about the symbols um, and what they meant and, you know, what men and women wore and how men would usually wear the same thing as their wives um, in terms of, like, the colour of the robes. And then there was also some relation to you know travel so we always think like okay you know we think about asian asian fashion but then there was one robe we saw where there was um an embroidered sort of scene steamship yeah of steamships so like of um european adventurers or seafarers oh, yeah. i, I love that one i love that one also because when you look closely the the man on the steamship Steamship. Steamship. Are wearing bowler hats. So funny. Yeah, and I've done a study on bowler hats before. Oh. How they've gone from like the UK to South America. They've become part of like ethnic dress, and it's so fun to see it on this robe as mm. well. And they would use their own stylistic way of depicting things. So, for example, the the steam coming out of yeah. the ship. <laughs> Look like looks the... like clouds which they usually put um, to show the heavenly skies yeah exactly so it was like their interpretation of the smoke on the garment as an embroiderer you know so it's really fun how there's this filtering and there's the use of like um, usual symbols to depict what they see that is foreign uh, that is not familiar to them yeah so at, right at the beginning, we see these three amazing ropes, as um, Nadia has said, and one of them is this yellow rope. And we, there was, um, she was, exp Jackie was explaining that there was a book that would dictate what kind of colors, what kind of styles people should be wearing according to their rank. So mm -hmm. everything was very much um, dictated mm -hmm. uh, depending on your station in life, and. Um, that yellow rope in particular, I've seen it on, I think, Google Arts and Culture, and it's just so amazing to see in real life. The color is so vibrant, mm. and you've seen designers like, for example, Dries Van Noten being inspired by this specific style of rope. Yes. And I think sometimes, you know, designers, if you're thinking about like Western designers, like Tom Ford does that as well. So, like, when he does the teapow, uh, when he did the teapow, I think in 2000 and or I would like to say. Um, I hope I'm not wrong with this, but, you know, he did, like, a teapot but with, like, the imperial rope kind of embroidery and imagery and colours. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of moved on, but I, I think you wanted to talk about the, the way that it was displayed, right? The yeah. imperial rope. So, yeah. the room is this rectangle 
rectangular room and mm. around the rectangle uh, all these chronological um, developments of the ropes and then in the middle of the room there is a huge vitrine mm -hmm. and in that huge vitrine all the garments within that are displayed on mannequins whereas the ones around the room are displayed on tea bars mm -hmm. um, until we get to the modern period where they are wearing uh, where they are on mannequins the chipas are on mannequins as well and so I asked Jackie about the tea bars because it's there's, a, there's always been, when we review exhibitions, we always talk about how Western dress is always shown on mannequins to show their fashionability, whereas West, uh, sorry, Asian dress is often shown on a tea bar um, to be flat and, to, and it kind of shows them more as objects and like textiles and not necessarily um, as garments that, that are worn on the body. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So she said, so I asked her about this and she said that, yes. So apparently, I, I also just found out after she said that, that the VNA has a new kimono exhibition mm -hmm. where they've actually displayed it on a body. Yeah. And apparently, this is like one of the first times that <laughs> um, Asian dress, like kimono or like uh, these ropes are displayed on a mannequin and it takes a lot out of the garment. Like it, it um it stresses it and in yeah. conservation you always want to protect the garment so she said it's really like a conservation thing and of course she would love to display it on the body so we can really see how it would have looked like but so a lot of curators rely a lot on images to show us how these ropes would have fit on the body and we can see some of these images at the corner of um the vitrines for the vitrines yeah. for this for this uh, for these ropes yeah I think that also then brings us to um, you know how she talked to us about the tea power and how it was displayed because I wouldn't have noticed it myself um, so she was telling us that for the tea power it wasn't until the 1950s that there were darts um, that mm. were part of like you know just normal teapot construction before that there were no darts so it was quite flat and actually um, I think in the 1930s women stopped binding their chest that's what she said right and yeah. earlier on they did so it was super flat um, in the front of the tipao and then when they did that on the mannequins, they were very clear that that's what they wanted to show. But I'm not sure if it's such a subtle point that, you know, just the layperson walking through the gallery, or even me, like I'm just walking through the gallery, I wouldn't have noticed it. So, you know, the level of detail and thought that goes into the curation of an exhibition, you know, is just invisible to the visitor, I think, you know, unless it is explicitly pointed out to us. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah, I really enjoyed that show of the of the chipaos mm -hmm. of the Chongsam chipaos. Well, she had talked about that that story. So yeah. you know, we always talk about like chipao and Chongsam, but actually Chongsam comes from um, the Chinese term Changshan. Um, so that actually relates to the men's robes. You know, that's like kind of oblong and like kind of straight down yeah. and not fitting in any way. Um, so the name Cheongsam, which I think made me more familiar with, really comes from that term that or originally related to um, men's robe. But then Tipao is... Um, that the means, banner people. Yeah, right? it, it's a banner robe, so it belongs to the banner people, and the banner people is actually the Manchu people. And, you know, talking about that, one of the things that I was most fascinated by in exhibition were the shoes. So um, Jackie showed us um, the shoes. There were the lotus shoes, which belonged to um, the elite women um, in the Han Dynasty. So basically, uh, no, the Han people, sorry. Basically, 
um, you know, with foot binding, they would crush the bones of mm. girls, you know, when they were they were really young, you know, so that they would have these deformed um, feet that don't grow anymore. And the idea is that it was alluring for some reason. I mean, obviously, it's to us, it's barbaric, but at the time, it was considered alluring. Um, and, you know, the... the like a privilege for the for the rich, right? To have these very tiny feet in these tiny tiny shoes, yeah. and um, they were called a san tunin, which means like three inch, right? Like three inch shoes yeah. thing. So the idea is that it will be three inch. But Jackie says that if you look at the lotus shoes that survived, most of them are not three inches; they are much longer because there's only so much that the can be shrunken to. I mean, yeah. that sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, but in contrast, the Manchu women would wear these platform shoes. Like curved bottom platform yeah, shoes. Yeah, you know, and it was like they just wanted to be tall and they wanted to celebrate their big feet. And um, yeah. But honestly, when I was looking at the Manchu shoes, I was also thinking like, that's not very comfortable because <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's sort of like a, a, a oblong kind of block at the bottom. I'm not sure how people would have um, balance on them as well. So that platform shoes, but um, yeah, yeah, just with like carved kind of shapes. Yeah. Another thing I loved about like learning about the body in display was that um, in the 1930s, there was like this rejection of um, like the, the bodies were very natural. So so Jackie did point to specific chipaos um, that had that had this velvet um, burnout and she said that with the conservators they worked on trying to get an, as natural a body as possible because they didn't wear brassiers so they just like hung loose and they I had, love that yeah and they had Can a we do that now? natural <laughs> body so that really reminded me of the work of people like Mariano Fortuni who yeah. like embraced the natural body so that was really I hope, interesting I hope we're moving towards that I feel like we are because we're doing like bralettes and all that nowadays so anyway that's um, just like us Whizzing through the exhibition, I think everyone should go visit. It's just fabulous and the pieces are beautiful. Yes. Um, but do make sure that you read all the texts because they will enhance the experience so much. You know, the backstories are wonderful. So this is us on our very first uh, vodcast. But, <laughs> you know, we will still upload this as a podcast episode for those of you who like to listen to us on the go. Thank you so much for your support. And till the next time... Bye. Bye.